Welcome to the first ever edition of Bully Banter, a new podcast sponsored by the Commercial Dispatch. I'm Gary Codge. Alongside me is my fellow co-host, Ben Portnoy, who is the Mississippi State beat writer for the Commercial Dispatch, while I am the sports editor. Ben, how's it going today? What's going on, Gary? Excited to be here. Excited to get this uh, this podcast going and off the ground. Yeah, we... Uh we all decided at the dispatch that we're going to try and incorporate a digital element um, each and every week. The goal as of now is to put out a podcast every Wednesday. Um, we'll see what we can do as we see how this podcast develops. If we can maybe do some uh, on Sundays after you know football games, uh, maybe after a big basketball game in the winter. But for now, this is kind of a trial and error run. So uh, this is the very first time that we're ending this out. We ordered some uh, pretty interesting Amazon microphones and they seem to be working okay. Um, Ben's probably going to have to edit some audio levels later, so I'm just going to apologize for that in advance. Um, it's also a little strange that uh, we're filming this out of uh, order, really, because we're, we're breaking... We're going to help you and break this down into three segments. First is going to be we're going to preview the Tennessee games ourselves and maybe tell you a little bit about what we want this podcast to be moving forward. Um, and then the second part of the interview, we were joined by Tennessee beat writer Blake Topmeyer, who is uh, absolutely outstanding at his job and helped us uh, give a little insight on what's going on down there in Knoxville. And the third part, we reacted to what Blake said, and we go through the SEC slate and pick out some games. So... I'm just going to turn it over to you, Ben. Um, completely coming off a bye week where Mississippi State got embarrassed, no other way to put it, by the number seven team in the country at the time, Auburn, 56-23. to 23. Uh, Joe Moore had pulled no punches in the postgame press conference, gave the line that every fan has heard 5,000 times and said the biggest thumb goes back to me. Um, what, do you, what do you make about how big of a game this is for Mississippi State going into Neyland Stadium where – you could not face a more desperate opponent at one and four Tennessee. Yeah, I think this is one of those games that you know you look at the schedule and when it comes out, you circle as this is a win, um, especially for where Joe Moorhead and this this program want to be. Uh, this is the kind of game that if Mississippi State wants to, and as fans want this team to be one of those sort of upper echelon SEC teams, uh, this is the game you come out and you take care of business. I mean, Tennessee's reeling a little bit. You already lost a game to Georgia State at home. Uh, that ruffled a few feathers. All the things that have gone on in Knoxville that we'll get into a little bit later over the past week and a half between arrests and people getting kicked off teams and Jeremy Pruitt being rather cavalier about the whole thing. Uh, you know, this is a team that is in disarray to an extent and I think that is the kind of team that Mississippi State has to come out and take care of business, uh, especially coming off a of bye week when you have essentially two weeks to prepare for it. Yeah, absolutely. I hate the term must win in sports. I think it's very overused and very cliche, and I'm going to be a total hypocrite and say that this is a must win for Mississippi State. The season outlook is completely changed if they go into Knoxville and lose this game to a team that, on paper, they should beat. Um, I think Vegas had them as, what, a seven-point favorite, give or take? Opened at six-and-a-half, yeah, so about a touchdown favorite. Right. Um, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen at quarterback for Mississippi State. We will know what happens at quarterback for Tennessee as you uh, get later on in the show when we interview Blake. Uh, I, I won't spoil that right away. But Garrett Schrader, Tommy Stevens, I mean, who's it going to be, Ben? I think this is a tough one because, and Joe actually mentioned it, I, uh, Tommy Stevens played really well the first couple of games. I know it's against Southern Miss. I know it's against Louisiana, excuse me, Louisiana. But, uh, you know, his 
completion percentage was hovering around 70%, rather, uh, five touchdowns on the year. I mean, he was playing really well, but what you've seen with Garrett Schrader, I think that, you know, with how good he's been and the fact that you've basically already thrown in the towel on trying to redshirt him, uh, I, I think it's not crazy to think that Moorhead comes out and starts Garrett right away and just says, you know, this kid's going to have to start next year, get on with the future a little bit. Um, you know, it's a tough tough situation for Tommy Stevens, a guy who came in, had the starting job, has dealt with injuries. Um, you know, it's hard to get a read on these things, and Joe has been kept to the cards pretty close to his chest. So I, I think that, you know, if you're looking at the future, I think you go with Garrett Schrader. If you're looking at the immediate... I'm not sure there's that big of a difference between Schrader and Tommy Stevens at this point. I don't think there is. Um, I think Garrett offers you a little bit more mobility. Obviously, Tommy's dealing with a lower body injury and was seen with a cast on his foot, his foot, or rather a boot on his foot uh, at the end of the Auburn game. So that's going to limit some mobility there. Um, I, I'm not sure. I think Garrett might. I, I think the arms are pretty similar. So I, I think really it's you know kind of cliche, but you go with the person you think gives you the best chance to win and whether that's a grad senior or a freshman that's you know that's why they pay joe moorhead the big bucks and we don't make those decisions <laughs> you know i think what they really need to do and this is really irrelevant in terms of who starts at quarterback but i think they need to get back to feeding kylan hill the ball at will um obviously when you get down 21 nothing as joe moorhead put it before the band even gets in their seats um you kind of get away from the run game a little bit that and even when you did utilize the run game that auburn defensive front didn't exactly allow you much running room so i think that kylan hill is by far the best offensive player that mississippi state has um i think that they need to utilize him early and often i think that some swing passes out of the backfield um maybe putting him in motion and confusing defenses that way would be good they did a little bit of that in the auburn pass when they in the auburn game when they couldn't utilize him exactly in the ground game because they're already so far behind and they had to you know save whatever time they could in their effort to come back but i don't know i think it would be interesting to kind of figure out different ways to unleash kylan hill more than he already has and get him back to that 100 yard ground game where he carries the ball 20 times yeah i think the thing and it's kind of the old coach speak but you know you want to get the ball in your playmakers hands um and i think you saw mississippi state be a little bit more creative with that with kylan last week. You saw him. I think he took a swing pass about 15 yards at one point, and we all kind of looked at each other in the press box like, you know, hey, this is something that people have talked about for, for months, and we're just now seeing it. Um, I, I think Kylan's the kind of guy that like you said, they had to get a little more creative with it because they weren't getting things going between the tackles. Um, you get him outside, you get him to the corner. He's got enough speed to beat pretty much anyone around that corner. Um, you know, I, like you said, I think that this is the kind of week where you will probably see a heavier dose of Kylan Hill, just because because Mississippi State should be able to run against Tennessee. I'd expect him somewhere between 20 to 25 or 27 carries. Um, I think he probably gets a heavier workload. If Schrader is the quarterback, I think you definitely will see a heavy load just because uh, you've got a freshman who doesn't have the whole playbook in his head. Um, so with that said, I think, like you said, I, th I think this is a week where Kylan Hill sort of gets things going back to the way they were. I... I feel fairly confident saying I think he goes over 100 yards this week. On the defensive side, I think they need to just prove that they can stop a nosebleed first. Um, yeah, I mean, first play of the game just completely set the tone in a disastrous way on Auburn's first offensive drive. Um, you know, 
Running back takes it 30 yards to the house and then runs over poor uh, Jack, the live mascot that caused an uproar with PETA. That, that's another whole story that we won't get into. That was <laughs> a very interesting uh, development as that played out. But um, getting back to the subject at hand, I mean, I just think this defense needs to show that they can stop the run. I mean, Tennessee's got a good attack with Ty Chandler and Eric Gray. Um, it's not the... <sighs> How do I say this? It's not the best SEC duel I've ever seen, but it's still a very competent and very capable one. Um, I think that Chauncey Rivers needs to have a big game. Um, you know, it may be one of those games that you may have someone that has been through a suspension being activated for it, but it also could not be. I mean, Moore had kind of got into that this whole week. If you want to get into uh, how he's kind of had to prepare uh, the list of suspensions with, you know, who's playing and who's not. Yeah, it's it's become kind of a week-to-week thing, and that's just how it's going to go the rest of the season. Um, with that said, it gives, you know, it's a competitive advantage, I guess, not to tip your hand, obviously, and all that. So hard to say exactly who's going to play and who's not going to. Um, but with that, I think that, like you said, this is a decent Tennessee run game. I mean, I'm not going to say it's the best in the SEC by any stretch of the imagination, but they've got three running backs who can go. Um because of that, this is going to be, like you said a little bit, this is going to be a week for the defensive line, and I feel like this has become a storyline every week this season, but a week for the defensive line to really step up and actually, you know, and show a little bit more. Um, Chauncey Rivers has been kind of quiet this year, even though he was kind of primed for a breakout year. I think Chauncey's still probably one of the most talented guys on this defense, but hasn't necessarily gotten as much push from the interior, which doesn't help hit things at all. Um, on the outside, Marquis Spencer has been virtually silent all year uh on the interior you've got Jaden Cromedy and Fabian Lovett who are redshirt freshmen I mean you know something that Chris Marv linebackers coach told me a few weeks back that I think resonates here is that you know the SEC is a, a junior and senior league it's a league that you know it takes time to develop and get your body right and things like that now that said Fabian Lovett and Jaden Cromedy are both enormous human beings but I, I think this is a it's a league where you need some of that experience some of that you know these guys are kind of green to an extent um and i think because of that mississippi state's not getting as much in the pass rush and uh, on the interior um but because of that you know the defense has been nowhere near where it was last year and i think we could all safely say we expected a drop off but it's been it's been pretty steep this year um and and they have not really inspired much confidence to say the least i would say before we get into the interview with Blake, I uh, just wanted to touch a little bit about uh, Mississippi State basketball. There was uh, basketball availability uh, last week uh, for the first time. They're getting going. They've already started practice, both the men and the women. Ben happened to be in beautiful Bloomington, Indiana. I was, while, back in my alma mater, visiting. While this was going on. So, um, quick recap um, on the women's side, Jordan Danbury. We got to hear from her for the first time on how excited she is to be back. Uh, Vic Schaefer said that they had a bunch of cowbells ready to go when he called her up to his office and let her know that she's returning. Um, you know, she's the elder stateswoman of a program that doesn't have a single senior on it. So uh, that's just a huge boost for her. Um, and they're very excited about their prospects for this year and how things are going to turn out. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a huge get for the the Bulldogs and uh, bringing back a guard of Danbury's caliber and someone who's played as many minutes as she has, I think that'll just sort of stabilize that backcourt a little bit and uh, obviously is huge news for the program. 
And then on the men's side, uh, I don't know what got into Ben Howland, but he was in a very good mood um, last Thursday. What whatever got into him, but I really love seeing it. Um, it was very complimentary of a lot of his players. He opened practice to the media for the first time, and I don't know how long. I know you and I haven't been on the beat for very long, but uh, we were talking to our friend Tyler Horka, the clearing ledger. He said he didn't do this at all last year, um, and we got to you know watch about two and a half hours of practice, and I mean, I don't know how much you can glean from one practice, but I'll tell you this. They got some dudes that can play. Um, Reggie Perry, you know, won a gold medal with the USA 19 and under team. Um, ben Howell, I still laugh every time I reference this quote. Ben Howland said that uh, Robert Woodard II has the best body he's ever seen in 37 years as his time as a coach. And he said he's never had a player more ripped. Um, and he called him a Greek figure. And this was all from one question. He just went on and on and on about how strong Robert Woodard is. Columbus and, native Robert Woodard. Yes, that's very true. Um, and, you know, I asked Robert a little bit about uh, what he had to say about his coach's compliment. And, you know, he kind of blushed. And, you know, what do you say to that when someone says that? <laughs> but he uh, was very, oh, well, you know. I just got to thank my uh, my dad for the good genes, and it's true because you know they're both uh, pretty strong uh, gentlemen. But no, it's uh, it's going to be a pretty exciting time for November to get here, and we get a better look at both of these teams because you know I don't know how much you can glean from one practice. Um, ben Holland did say that Nick Weatherspoon will be suspended for the first ten games of the year um, for you know. He already missed the final 10 games of last season, so that will put him on track to start December 22nd against New Mexico State and for all the fans that want to make a trip to Jackson uh, three days before Christmas. Um, and in the meantime, Tyson Carter is going to take Nick Weatherspoon's spot and he will be backed up by Iverson, a uh, freshman that they're pretty high on. And it's uh, going to be an interesting season for Bulldog basketball. We'll get a little bit more into it as we have more information. But just wanted to give you the highlights from both media sessions because we had it for a while. And next week will be SEC media days for both hoops. So we'll uh, both be there for the men and the women, and we'll have hopefully things to report from that. Yep. So with that said, we'll, uh, we'll jump over to Blake here, uh, and we'll uh, get back on the football front. All right, we are now joined by Blake Topmeyer, the Tennessee football beat writer for the Knoxville News Sentinel and USA Today Network. He is in his third season covering the Vols. Blake, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's no secret right now. Tennessee is uh, trying to find its way, slogging along the SEC grind. Uh, in your opinion, do you think there's any team more desperate in the SEC for a win than Tennessee right now? Mm, boy. No, they, they would rank pretty high up there. I mean, maybe Vanderbilt. I think you could look at probably both of those programs right now and say they're both pretty desperate. But, you know, I, I think what's in Tennessee's case, like, they felt like they played pretty well for close to a full half against Georgia. But sometimes you see that from struggling teams, that they can play well for one half. But, you know, putting it together for a full game is something that, kind of eludes those teams and can be something that eludes them for an entire season so that's kind of what i'm curious to see is can they start putting together four quarters Blake, kind of on that front of just kind of where Tennessee is at right now uh, with Jeremy Banks getting kicked off the team and uh, that the whole issue and ordeal with, with Jeremy Pruitt and the phone call. How is that? Is that something that's been more addressed this week? And just sort of, I guess it's kind of a larger scale question, but sort of what's the mood around the team been at least the last kind of two weeks with all that going on? Well, I don't think it's 
it's really permeated much throughout the team. With Pruitt, it was interesting because I felt like fan support had been fairly strong for him despite the start he's gotten off to. I mean, certainly there are you're going to find some people that are ready to make a change now. But considering his lack of success for a season and a half, I really felt like he was enjoying a fair amount of support from Tennessee fans. I think the situation with Banks, though, uh, hurt Pruitt's popularity as much as anything has because uh, even a lot of fans that I think were firmly in Pruitt's camp were displeased with how that situation was handled, uh, particularly that there, there wasn't initially more discipline for Banks's conduct in the back of the police car. Uh, you know, with, with, with people able to see that full video, it, it's, it's always different when you get to see things rather than just when you hear about what happened. When you get to see the video, it changes people's opinion. And uh, yeah, that certainly was a, a kind of a wild week for Tennessee, but I think for Pruitt and the Vols, they're kind of looking at that situation situation as it's um, you know, water under the bridge now with him not being on the program anymore. They're, they're trying to move past that. Um, when you look at, you know, the bank situation and the on-field lack of success, can you just tell that Pruitt is just kind of getting drained week after week as you see him every, you know, Monday or Tuesday morning. I don't know how the media relations does it over there, but just, you know, in his press conferences, can you tell that this is kind of wearing on him? He actually wears it pretty well. He's not someone that really seems to be affected much by public opinion, or if he if he is, he at least hides it well. You know, his predecessor, Butch Jones, I think really let that get to him more. And perhaps that was because Butch Jones spent five seasons in Knoxville and, and Pruitt's only going on year two here. But, you know, Jones would, would crack in the media sessions. He, he was very aware of what was being said about him, what was being said about his program. And he, he would allow that to come through in his message. Pruitt is, is not really doing that. And I think that's probably for the best. It it. it it offers a sense of composure even if he is internalizing this he's not letting on about it and he at least is sending a message that there's no reason to panic here that this team is struggling more than he would like more than he thinks it should be um but that it's not time to pound the alarm and and i think that's sort of the message that he needs people to believe and that he needs to send Definitely. And looking at the more on-field stuff, obviously, with, with all that, as, as you said, kind of water under the bridge to an extent, uh, Brian Maurer gets his first start last week, showed some, uh, at least from the outside, uh, some success. I think it was over 200 yards passing in the first half. And that, I think the stat I saw was that Jarrett Garantano had only, only gone over 200 yards like five times in his career. Um, what are people saying about him? And I guess I guess is Brian Maurer kind of the quarterback going forward as it, as it appears so far? Yeah, I think he's a quarterback going forward, at least into this week. We'll see how he does in game two. I don't think we've seen the last of Garantano, um, but I do think that Mauer's going to continue to have every chance to make this the re- this this remainder of the season his. Um, he played pretty well, especially considering expectations. Uh, I don't think the expectations for many people were particularly high for him, especially considering the opponent, Georgia. Uh, and I thought Jim Cheney, the offensive coordinator, had a really good game plan for Maurer, and I think he executed it pretty well. He was very quick and decisive in his reads, and it was like 
if his first two reads weren't there, he pretty much just threw it away. And, and I think for a young quarterback, particularly working behind an offensive line that's been shaky in pass protection, that's probably a pretty smart approach. Uh, we saw him stretch the field pretty well a couple times. I do think that you know they're, they're going to have to manage how much they put on him, as you would with most freshmen. I, I don't think you can um, just kind of let him run wild in this offense. I think they have to be careful about how much they're putting on his shoulders. But, you know, he's got some mobility, which helps, uh, particularly, again, behind Tennessee's mediocre offensive line. And then uh, he's got some arm strength, too. Like He, he showed some real zip on a, on a few throws. So I'm curious to see how he does here in week two, uh, or in his second start, I should say, uh, against you know maybe a little bit more of a manageable defense than, than what he saw against Georgia. What have you made of the two-headed rushing attack with Ty Chandler and Eric Gray back there? Yeah, Gray really gave him a jolt of life in uh, the first few weeks and I think a reason to be excited about the future. And it was kind of curious against Georgia. He actually moved to third string behind Tim Jordan and Ty Chandler. And I don't really know the reason for that. Gray, by all appearances, healthy. Uh, Jordan had been slowed earlier in the year by an ankle injury and is starting to get more healthy. Uh, but still, the way Gray had been playing, I, I was surprised to see his playing time drop off. The one thing about Gray is he really struggles at pass protection. And, you know, with a freshman quarterback now back there, I kind of wonder if they're going to, you know, be careful about how many snaps they give Gray because of his issues of pass protection. But yeah, he's an electric back. He's very elusive, got some speed. And then Ty Chandler as as well is, is kind of a, a big play potential guy. I really think that's a position, you know, between the three of them, Chandler, Jordan, and Gray, they need more out of that position because I think there's more talent there than perhaps what the stats show. Um, you know, I think the stats show that these guys are just kind of okay running backs, but I really think they're a little bit better than that. And, uh, you know, part of that comes back to the offensive line, but part of that, you know, Tennessee has to find more and more creative ways to get more from those guys because this is a team with you know, limited playmakers. Uh, and I think some of their best playmakers are in that running back room. And so they really, um, you know, need to find ways to, to get take advantage of those guys. Last one before we let you go. Uh, give us a score prediction and how you see things playing out on Saturday. Yeah, it feels kind of like a toss-up game. Uh, I think the fact that it's at Neyland levels the playing field a little bit. I would say I feel like the Vegas betting line is pretty spot on. It feels like Mississippi State's maybe a, a one touchdown advantage here. So I will go, uh, let's say, 35 28. Uh, I think both defenses are flawed. And so I think, I think we're going to see some points scored. But overall, I feel like uh, Mississippi State's, you know, maybe just a slightly better team, maybe a slightly more veteran team as well, which, uh, you know, could help them in the second half. That was Blake Topmeyer, Tennessee football beat writer for the Knoxville News Sentinel and USA Today Network. Thank thank you very much for joining us today, Blake. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, Blake. Thanks, man. Well, that was Blake Topmeyer, as you already know. Uh, obviously, we heard what he had to say about the upcoming matchup between Mississippi State and Tennessee. Ben, what was your first impression from the interview? Yeah, I, I think the thing that stuck out to me the most is the what Blake was saying about Brian Maurer and the sort of limiting the playbook. I think that's something that we've seen with Garrett Schrader. Um, Joe Moore had addressed that a little bit this week, saying that the, the playbook has opened up and they've sped things up a little bit in, in the couple of weeks that he has started games. Um, and I think that you'll probably, I expect it's kind of a natural progression 
regression for a freshman quarterback to see that. You may see a little bit more from Brian Maurer in week two as a starter versus week one, and I think that's just kind of a logical transition. But um, like Blake said, I think I think he showed some good things watching that first half against Georgia, and I think the stat I mentioned, you know, had over 200 yards passing in the first half, kept it within striking distance at least to a degree, um, and really – at least gave that Tennessee offense some life that it hasn't necessarily had in a couple of weeks and, you know, went toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the country for, for a half. And I know people talk about moral victories, and that's not ideal, but at the same time, for a Tennessee team that's 1-4, and four, you, you'll take what you can get almost at least at this point. I think it was pretty interesting that he said that Jeremy Pruitt is not phased at all by the public opinion outside of their locker room, I suppose. I mean, with... The amount of stuff that, you know, in Tennessee, of uh, all fans um, do not hold back on Twitter from what I have seen. Um, they certainly let you know their opinion. I mean, that's all a college football fan, really. So I don't know if that's, you know, reinventing the wheel here, just me making that statement. But if I, I kind of believe Blake when he says that because you, you saw Jeremy Pruitt at SEC Media Days and he just stood up there and just was like reading through a script, seemed uninterested in being there, put the entire 200-plus media members that were there to sleep. Um, and I really think that he really does not care what other people think about him and just you can tell that from his actions and from his body language and i thought that was very interesting that you know any normal human um at least i think any normal human being would get up there and go wow this is taking an emotional toll on me and i mean if it's not bothering him he's doing sorry if it is bothering him he's doing a very good job of convincing the public that it's not yeah, I think that's interesting. And as, as a head coach, I guess in theory you want to put on the face that you it happened, you moved past it. Like Blake said, it's water under the bridge. But I, I think with how big of a thing that is, and not to blow it out of proportion, but you know that's the kind of thing that riles up fan bases. It's pretty, uh, for those who don't know what we're talking about, Jeremy Banks was arrested uh, by Knoxville police, uh, was it two weeks ago now? Um, and basically said that you know where i'm from cops get shot jeremy pruitt was then called by one of the officers and it's left up to interpretation a little bit but was it it appeared that was asking basically for preferential treatment uh for for his player uh who had been arrested and it was just kind of an ugly situation um the it's something that you would think that Pruitt would have addressed head on. He didn't really. He basically said, you know, it was 3 a.m. I didn't really know what was going on. Um, I think it's safe to say that he didn't handle it in the best possible way. Jeremy Banks was initially not kicked off the team after a couple of didn't. I think it was a day or two. They retroactively kicked kicked him off the team um and so it's been kind of a weird week and a half going on two weeks in knoxville um but because of that i think you know it's interesting how pruitt has been i don't want to say dismissive because we're not there every day but it just seems that you know for him it's it happened it's over and you would think that he might have addressed it a little more head-on but hasn't really to to this point Moving forward, uh, we're going to go to the SEC slate, and Ben and I will give our predictions that will most certainly be wrong on the upcoming slate. Uh, We'll start uh, locally, of course. We'll start with Mississippi State and Tennessee. Ben, what do you got? Yeah, I'm going to air kind of where Blake said. I think Mississippi State's probably the better team, a little bit more veteran. Um, Neyland's not an easy place to play, but given the fact that Tennessee has been anything but good and that Mississippi State isn't necessarily the same draw as an LSU or an Alabama. Um, 
I think you're going to see a light crowd. I don't think it'll be as necessarily hostile as Neyland can be. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Mississippi State, and I'll give a score on this one. But I'm going to say Mississippi State 35, Tennessee 21. I think Mississippi State's a much better team than. Uh, Tennessee, I, I really think they go in and handle business, especially off the bye week, uh, with how sort of, for lack of a better term, reinvigorated everyone seems. Um, and it's a little cliche, but I, I think that Mississippi State wins this game. I'm in agreement. I think the Bulldogs are going to take care of business, but I also think it's going to be a, uh, a little bit of a taffy pull. I'll throw that adjective that I had <laughs> here. Um, I just. Mississippi State has not been a good football team on the road the last year and a half. Um, for whatever reason, regardless of where they play, they always seem, especially the start last week in Auburn, they couldn't have started any worse. Um, if they're going to take care of business, even though they're playing in Tennessee, who I think is probably the second worst team in the East behind Vanderbilt, um, even though that all said, they need to come off firing in all cylinders. And I don't know if Garrett Schrader is going to be the starting quarterback. I don't know if Tommy Stevens is going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, maybe they're going to put Kylan Hill in the Wildcat there for all we know. <laughs> um, they're not going to. But um, regardless, I mean, they just got to get off the bus running. I think they got to feed Kylan Hill. I think that they can run against this Tennessee team. Um, I think they can throw against this Tennessee team. If they can't, oh, man, it's, it's going to be a long day. Um, I, but um, a score prediction, I'll go Mississippi State 31, Tennessee 27. I don't think the defense is going to perform as well as fans would like to see them do it, um, but I think they're going to get it just done narrowly. If they lose this game, uh, it's, the season outlook is going to look a lot different than if they can pull off a win and then be in the driver's seat for a bowl game with games like Abilene Christian coming up, Arkansas, and Ole Miss, even though that's a rivalry game. Yeah, I think this is a game that you know Mississippi State talked about. I think we all kind of assumed that Mississippi State's kind of floor this year was somewhere around seven games and the ceiling was probably around nine. And if you go, if you lose this game, you're staring six and six right in the face um moving on down the slate we'll go south carolina georgia i think we can probably both agree that georgia's going to get that one done at home south carolina hasn't inspired a lot much of this year this year uh i'll let you go with your prediction though i don't think i need to spend much time on this i'm going to pick the other bulldogs to take care of business all right and moving down the line we'll go vanderbilt unlv non-conference game of <laughs> two teams that are one and four and have not been good in virtually any capacity this year three o'clock slate on sec network it is a perfect Perfect time to get your Saturday afternoon nap in after watching Mississippi State, Tennessee at 11 a.m. Um, I will certainly not be watching this game, but since you're making me pick, um, Vanderbilt by three. I'll go Vanderbilt. Stick with the SEC there. All right, next one's kind of an interesting one. Ole Miss, Mizzou. Uh, it's a game on the road. There's some folks, Ole Miss folks seem to think this is a game they can win. I, I haven't been really seen very much of anything from Ole Miss this year, and the offense has been an issue. Is The defense has been solid, but with Kelly Bryant healthy this week, I think that's something to watch. Um, I'm going to go Mizzou, and I think Mizzou wins this game big. I, I don't think the teams are honestly that close, and I think – this is the kind of week where some flaws could be exposed uh, on the Rebel side of things. Mizzou got terrific news that Kelly Bryant should be good to go for this game. They got terrible news that their heart and soul defensively, Kale Garrett, middle linebacker, will be out for the year. Um, that is a huge blow, and he had three defensive touchdowns this year already. I mean, they're still pretty solid defensively around, but you know the presence that he brings back there, 
is very difficult to replace. That being said, um, I don't think Missouri is going to have a problem beating Ole Miss. I predict them to win by two touchdowns. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a blowout. I think Ole Miss is going to be able to keep up with them a little bit on offense, uh, considering that Cale Garrett's not back there and it's a huge drop-off, but they got another guy named Nick Bolton that has also been a very good linebacker. And um, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world if Ole Miss goes in there and somehow pulls off an upset, considering, you know, the locker room might be a little... uh, split right now after losing Kale Garrett, but I think Kelly Bryant has enough in him to uh, run all over the Ole Miss defense and uh, get a win for the Tigers. All right, we're both going Tigers on that one. Last one, or sorry, second to last one, we'll go uh, Kentucky and Arkansas. Uh, This should be another riveting one. Um, I'm going to go... You know, I'm going to go with Kentucky, but I wouldn't be shocked to see Arkansas win this game. I think Ben Hicks showed a decent decent enough had a decent enough showing in the second half against uh, Texas A&M. I think if you're Chad Morris, you got to stick with one quarterback at this point. To, from what we've seen, Nick Starkle is not that guy. I think you go with the younger guy, you go with Ben Hicks, let him run the show and see what he can do. Um, so, but I'm going to still go with Kentucky. I think Kentucky's a better team top to bottom. Woof. Um, Yeah, another game I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on. Um, I think this is a very much a almost a coin flip game, Um, but I'm going to give the edge to the Wildcats considering that they're home and considering that I believe they have the better offensive line. All righty. And then the big one in the SEC this week is Florida and LSU. College game day is down in Baton Rouge. This will be a good one. A little prime time, 7 o'clock action. Uh, Garrick, I'll let you you lead this one off. Who you got? Oh, wow. That's a pretty prestigious honor you're giving me here, (laughs) Benjamin. Always, always. Yes. um, I think Burrow gets it done. I'm taking the... uh, purple and gold tigers to take down uh dan mullen and uh they're gonna win let's say by a touchdown all righty garrick is going with go tigers i'm gonna stick with the tigers as well uh that said i think florida really impressed against auburn last week that's an auburn team that after watching what they did to mississippi state looked legit like a top you know four team in the sec they may still be but the way that florida came out and controlled that game was impressive all that said I'm going to go with LSU. I think this is a team that their offense is clicking. Um, it's you know something that's been said over and over again this year, but Joe Burrow is phenomenal. This is the, the quarterback that LSU fans have looked for for 30 years, and the Tigers finally have it. So on that front, I'm going with the Tigers down in Baton Rouge. Calling Baton Rouge, and I guess we'll uh, call it a day with that. You forgot uh, Alabama and Texas A&M, Benjamin. You, you're right. I did miss Alabama. Texas A&M. Well, let me save you some time. Alabama wins. Alabama wins. We'll stick there. And that on that front, we'll call it a day. Garrick, uh, it was fun. Yeah, this was a very interesting debut podcast. I mean, uh, we're definitely going to have some production issues resolved next time around. We've kind of been doing it makeshift. We've been trying to get this off the ground, and we finally got it. Um, but um, if you made it this far in the first podcast, we appreciate it. Hope you stick around. Um, if you got some suggestions on guests you'd like to see, suggestions on maybe things that we could do better, things to talk about, um, we're all open ears. I mean, this has just been a 
new process we're getting off the ground to have a little bit more fan interaction and you know get us a little bit more into the digital age um, we're gonna have some fun with it we're gonna see how it goes um, and it's just been pretty fun where you've had a fun day Ben yeah it's been a good time I've enjoyed it hope you all have enjoyed it uh, you can catch us on Twitter at at bportnoy15 and at Garrick underscore Hodge so if you have any suggestions find us there and uh, tune in next week <laughs> <laughs>